iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, we'll discuss the new chief executive at Manchester United as Ed Woodward finally says goodbye. Elsewhere, we'll look back at Chelsea's comfortable win over Spurs in the EFL Cup semi-final. We'll look ahead to a big weekend of FA Cup football as well. And we'll ask the question, should postponements turn into forfeitures from now on? This is The Game. Hello, I'm Hugh Wozencroft alongside Tom Clark for this episode of The Game Podcast. We'll be joined by a host of names. Uh, Joining us is Tom Roddy. Let's talk Chelsea. They look like overwhelming favourites to reach the Carabao Cup final after a very comfortable 2-0 win over Spurs. Tom Roddy, you were there. Let's talk about some of the issues. In fact, before we get to the game, there is something that I want to get off my chest. Something that really grinds my gears, okay? Oh, no. What on earth was Romelu Lukaku doing, given an apology interview to the Chelsea fans? Where does this rank in terms of the game's gonometer? It is right up there, okay? I mean, it wasn't that bad. Come on, what are they they making out? He just got released from prison or something. I mean, what's going on? What is going on, Tom Roddy? I agree with you, Hugh. It, it, It did. It really shocked me when that video was released on Tuesday night, Hugh, because... It seemed quite humiliating for Lukaku, really. It's like the kid at the front of the class writing lines while the disappointed teachers watch on. He's had all of this aired in public, which is very good. You know, it's it's very trans- transparent from the club and it's a marked change from the club from, from years gone by where you've got the... The, them backing a manager over over players but I thought a statement would have been fine you know you get the apology out there but a direct address to camera seemed whew, wow it was the classic this could have been an email meeting from <laughs> Ronald Lukaku wasn't it unbelievable scene six minutes almost how long does it take to say sorry I shouldn't have done that interview interview in Italy yeah, exactly. And and the problem, I think, is that th- this has sort of reached its conclusion where a line has been drawn. There was n- no sort of reaction from the fans in any negative way last night at the game. So there was a, a line drawn under it. But I worry a little bit from Lukaku's side whether this whole episode even though he has said sorry and and has said he's done wrong, etc. I worry that it's going to have affected his relationship already with the club, however long he's there. If he wasn't entirely unhappy before all of this, I'd have thought he would be pretty unhappy right now with it. I'm a bit torn, Hugh, to be honest, between 
you know, jumping on the back of Alison Rudd's excellent and quite funny point on Monday's show about Thomas Tuchel's Machiavellian approach to this and thinking that when we saw this video of Romelu Lukaku, he, the manager was stood behind the camera holding up placards and things and telling him exactly what to say. And initially I thought, well, this is a massive win for the for the manager in terms of a power struggle. But listening to Tom then and thinking about modern footballers, you know, a lot of them are egotists. They want to be the superstars. They want to be centre of attention. They want to be adored. And Romelu Lukaku is no different to that. He's a £97 million modern-day striker at the top of his game. And it's a little bit embarrassing. And I do wonder, as Tom says, whether it's going to affect his game because so much of being a forward, and it's something that's hampered Lukaku in the past, is about confidence. And you wonder whether, you know, it's going to get into his head a little bit and he's going to feel like either I owe the players and I owe the team and it becomes an overwhelming pressure or a bit like, well, you guys hung me out to dry. I can't really be bothered. And I mean, Tom briefly mentioned it there, but I'd be interested to know a bit more about, and you mentioned it in your piece today, Tom, about the reaction that you had. And I was reading about how it was kind of a little bit neither here nor there. And the most telling chants from the crowd were the Tottenham fans with the chant Romelu Lukaku, who's into Milan. I kind of got the impression from this whole episode is that fans think you've got to prove yourself now. You've got to do your talking on the on the pitch instead of the Sky Italia cameras. And to be honest with you, it really wasn't the best performance far from it. I thought he had a bit of a poor performance last night. He was barely involved, to be honest, at the beginning. And when he was, it wasn't particularly impressive. The truth of it was that he met the lowest bar in that he just kept on going. It was that sort of the commitment he couldn't not do after the, giving the interview the day before. But it can't have been it can't have been a pleasant experience. And the awkwardness from the Tottenham fans taking that opportunity to to point and shout at the elephant in the room uh, with the chant about him being into Milan, it just grew. There was a there was a corner. Tottenham had taken over the whole shed end because of it being an EFL Cup game, and it was a little chant in the corner of the, the that section, which you couldn't quite hear what they were singing apart from Lukaku's name, and then the rest of the Tottenham end just realised what was going on and it grew and it grew and it grew and it went on for quite a while and was pretty loud and pretty awkward if you were Romelu Lukaku, Thomas Tuchel or the board directors, I guess, at Chelsea. And it should have been expected. Tuchel did say in the day before that a smell may have lingered. How rude. (laughs) Yes, yes. I think it was possibly from it, it may have been expected from the, their own fans, so it wasn't it wasn't as bad as um, it wasn't quite the stink we were expecting. What I thought was good is that Thomas Tuchel started Romelu Lukaku. I thought that was pretty important um, in the grand scheme of things. He didn't get the cameras on him on the bench. You know, when's he going to come on? He didn't have that moment where the crowd were able to either, you know, give him a good reception or a bad reception as he was brought on, you know, after 55, 60 minutes, you know, start him, lay the marker, everyone's moving on, he's back in the starting lineup, set him up to score a couple of goals. Of course, it didn't happen. But, um, you know, I think just starting him showed the signal that as a manager, he'd almost forgiven him, he'd moved on, he'd accepted the apology, everyone else should do the same. So I thought that was pretty important. And the performance after that point in time was very good from Chelsea as well, Tom. Tottenham were, were a disaster 
in many ways. What did you make of the game? They were, and it's and the problem is you can you kind of looked at the team and it wasn't a, a strong Tottenham team. They were missing Romero, they were missing Dyer, they were missing Reguillon, and you think with those players they they'd they'd have been better. But then at the same time, it wasn't like Chelsea were at their strongest. Far from it too. You had Sol Niguez, who has had a terrible time since coming over from Atletico Madrid. I've I've not seen him have a good game. He's struggled with the intensity so much. And against Tottenham, who we know in recent history are an intense side, well, Maybe not, maybe not the very recent history, but their DNA, as Daniel Levy calls it, is that kind of intensity. And Chelsea were were so comfortable. I think that was that's the biggest insult to Tottenham was was how comfortable Chelsea were. And Sonio Conte highlighted it at the end. To be honest, Conte, I think he was so hurt by it and and possibly humiliated that he maybe went over the top because there was a point where he was saying we are going to struggle to win any game this season which is definitely going over the top when you've got the the players they've got and considering other opposition in in the Premier League but the point he was trying to make and wanted to make was that Tottenham are nowhere near the Chelsea level and in the clubs he's taken over in the past, they're far higher. He called Tottenham a middle club, which will upset fans, but it is the reality right now, says the guy who said they could finish fourth. <laughs> <laughs> fourth is still the middle, Tom, don't worry. Fourth is top of the middle, don't worry. What did you think of the performances last night, Tom? I mean, I was a little bit surprised at Tottenham and how how poor they were. I, I kind of half had this down that, Tottenham were going to win, this was going to be Conte's trophy and that Tom Roddy was going to be right and they'd sneak into fourth and we'd all be saying what a brilliant, brilliant job it was and we were all wrong to say they'd only finish in sixth, that'd be a good season. But I think it showed, I mean, there's a serious issue at fullback, isn't there? We know Conte likes to play a wing-back system. He did it at Chelsea. Um, He kind of almost brought that system back into fashion. And I think... It's a bit of a worry for Tottenham and for Daniel Levy, a guy who doesn't part with his cash lightly, that last night you had Mac Doherty and Emerson Royale out there as fullbacks who, you know, one of them is at fault for the first goal at least, and they just don't provide, be it the kind of defensive intensity that Conte wants from those positions and also the attacking threat. I mean, I was speaking to um, a friend of mine who's a Tottenham fan about Emerson Royale and he said, every time you go to a game, all the fans are just sat there kind of watching and waiting for him to turn back and look apprehensive and not bomb on down the wing and put a cross into the box for Harry Kane or Son. They're just waiting for him to go, yeah, he's going to turn back and pass it backwards. Oh, yeah, there it goes. Conte wants so much more from those positions, doesn't he? And that's that's going to be a problem if they're going to kind of kick on into the next phase, as we often see with these teams in the top of the middle, to use that to use that phrase that we've just coined. In these big games against the Chelsea's, the Liverpool's, the Manchester City's, you need the your system to be working at its absolute best. And Conte's not going to get the absolute best out of his system with players like that who have, who have really struggled since they signed for Tottenham. I'm not really sure why Sergio Reguilón didn't start last night. Uh, maybe he's got a bit of a knock. Maybe he was rested. But um, I think it was a, a, 
a missed opportunity for Tottenham Hotspur. Harry Winks has been good, but for me, interchangeable with Ollie Skip. Um, the big miss was Eric Dyer in many ways because Jaffet Tanganga started and he was at fault or involved in, in both of the goals, shall we say. It's a bigger tie for Tottenham than it is for Chelsea. Just on this, Tom Roddy, do you see a way back for Tottenham? Potentially. It's far from easy, but it was. It's, Tottenham can play so much better than that. And you, you were spot on, Hugh, with your assessment because it, it, I thought exactly the same thing. When you, when you look at the Tottenham team, there is their front three are very impressive. One of the best front threes in the in the league when they're when they're at their best, but. They just had absolutely no service. And it's not a surprise when you've got Hoiberg um, and Skip in the central midfield and you have Tanganga, Sanchez and Davies as the back three. It, the, the, I think Antonio Conte played that game preparing his team to stop Chelsea rather than try and hurt them because he now knows from his first couple of months at Tottenham, what he needs is Eric Dyer. He needs Harry Winks because when those players are playing, they have the range of passing that means they can counter-attack, that means they can they can thread balls through. And and you saw he realised the mistake at half-time because Ndombele comes on and doesn't really make a difference he doesn't a little bit but he doesn't really make a difference but i'd be pretty certain to wager that we won't see that same team start we will see dyer we will see a winks or an on start um and maybe even a deli alley because tottenham 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 have damaged Chelsea in the past, um, especially Deli Alley. So, and they ca- they can do it, but it feels like, to be honest, as much as we've credited An- Antonio Conte and what he's done and what he what he w- will continue to do at Tottenham because it's been very impressive so far. I think he got the approach to this game wrong. Let's quickly talk about the other semi-final, which should have been today, but Liverpool's game with Arsenal has been postponed uh, due to what's called a severe COVID outbreak with the Merseysiders. We wish everyone, by the way, at Liverpool well. Uh, The first leg will now be at Anfield on the 13th of January, the second at the Emirates on the 20th of Jan. Um, Liverpool said their training facilities would be closed for at least 48 hours. They said this on Wednesday, by the way, because of a rapidly growing number of coronavirus cases. It now puts their FA Cup third round tie against Shrewsbury Town on Sunday into jeopardy. I think it's time for transparency in terms of exactly how um, clubs are being affected. This isn't about Liverpool because clearly they have a very severe problem and it's been lasting for the last couple of weeks. Every time they go through a round of testing, there are more and more issues. I was going to ask how many matches we can keep postponing, but the news came last night that football clubs will not be doing two PCR tests a week anymore. They will be doing daily lateral flow testing instead. We know the lateral flows are less accurate, but that does mean, I think then, that we will get more games on because more players will be available, but not necessarily a good thing because if they were going to be a positive on a PCR, for example, but a negative with their lateral flows, for me, that does expose footballers. It leaves them a little bit more exposed than we need to. I don't see any reason why we should get rid of twice-weekly PCR tests for the players 
if they're going to be exposing themselves and other clubs and other people to possible infection. So that did slightly, I think, raise eyebrows for me, but it is in line, I should say that, it is in line with the changes made by the government to the guidelines this week. Because I would have said in the FA Cup this weekend that if there were 14 players available, Liverpool or any other club, as long as you've got a couple of keepers, that the game should go on. And if it doesn't go on, then I think we need to start having buys and forfeits. Oh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Because when you bring in the FA Cup, you've got clubs like Shrewsbury, who Liverpool are set to play, who will be absolutely desperate for this tie to go on. Other clubs of a similar standing who will have televised fixtures that will be desperate for it to go on. I think there will, you are almost predicting a slight conflict in procedure, if you like, with outlining that this this postponement comes before an FA Cup third round because obviously you've got a semi-final Liverpool against Arsenal, big TV match, midweek, star billing. Fine, let's postpone that. No one wants to see Arsenal against a 13-string Liverpool squad, etc., etc. But if you then come to this weekend and the same is not applied to FA Cup games involving smaller teams, you know Stoke v Leighton Orient, Cardiff v Preston, Charlton v Norwich. You know if, or if certain Premier League teams are going, do you know what? Sod it. Who cares? We'll be all right. If there are differing standards applied, then you know th- this story. I often, you know, kind of like to see what the reception is on from Times readers, and this story of all the stories today has kind of got people not, not angry, but kind of a bit, bit confused and a bit uh, passionate as to why there seems to be different standards. And as you say, it comes down to a need for consistency and a bit of transparency. So it will be very interesting to see as we head into this FA Cup weekend whether the same stringent standards will be in place and whether we'll see postponements or whether we will see weakened teams put out just to make sure the tie goes ahead. Part of the problem with the FA Cup is that the games, the rounds are coming far more quickly. The next round is only a matter of of weeks away and with an already congested fixture uh, schedule. So the thing with the Carabao Cup is that the the final isn't for weeks and weeks and weeks. So they could delay it. There was the possibility of of doing that. So there, there is a little bit of nuance between the two competitions. I think there's going to be a power struggle in the FA Cup I think there's a real issue for the organisers because you talk about games involving Liverpool, it almost seems obvious that you're going to postpone those. But you wonder if there was a big outbreak at one of the teams, you know, lower down the table. We'll talk about the FA Cup uh, in, a, in a while. Sorry, lower down the pyramid. Would those games still have that feeling of you've got to get it on? You know, you've got to get it on. I don't know if, and it should be a quality in the FA Cup, Harrogate Town are going to get treated the same way as a Liverpool. That might be the issue for their competition going forward. As I say, I think we're going to have fewer postponements, generally speaking, because the testing, you know, is is not as accurate. Let's call it that, although it is going to be daily. Let's see how it goes. I'm going to reserve judgment. I sound like I've made my mind up already, (laughs) but you know me, when the facts change, when the data changes, I will change too, okay? That's the only way to be an impartial journalist. Uh, Tom Roddy, thanks for joining us on the Game Podcast. We could have kept chatting about it. We're going to talk FA Cup later on with James Restall, so we'll see what he thinks about it. Up next, we're going to talk about a potential Euros bid to these shores. 
The UK and Ireland are set to bid for the European Championship in 2028, which would be great news, but it does come instead of a World Cup bid for 2030. I personally would rather have a World Cup, wouldn't you? Let's speak to Martin Ziegler from The Times and find out what's going on. Hi, Martin. Hey, how are we doing? Very well, very well. Yeah, of course, everybody would prefer a World Cup because we've not had one in probably all of our lifetimes anyway. And we've had the Euro 96, we had you know a lot the, the sort of climax of the Euro 2020 here. So I can understand people saying it's a, it's a sort of consolation prize. But um, I think in the sort of the stark reality of international football politics, you know, it, it's a big risk to try and go get the World Cup. That's what the that's what the British and Irish have been told by senior international football people, and they've been advised to go for the Euros instead. Martin, reading um, your pieces this morning, one thing that kind of struck me was not just for these upcoming bids, but the sense that FIFA in particular, because of the desire to take the game global and take it around the world. We're almost going to be waiting until, maybe this is a little bit exaggerated, but until every country in the world has had a crack at hosting the World Cup, you know, boring old England can try again. I mean, that might be a bit hyperbolic, but is, is that a little bit of the sense that they want to go to these far-flung places, if you like, to, to take football there instead, rather than pick a more sensible option, like a country with loads of stadiums and infrastructure already in place. I've spoken to senior people in FIFA who've it's un, un, unapologetically said to me um, that, that you know they view their role as spreading the game, developing it, developing it internationally. And they, although they sort of understand that um, you know, Europe needs to have the, the, the World Cup on a sort of fairly regular basis, say every every three World Cups, um, or so, their priority must be to to go to to spread the game internationally, and that and that means new territories. So that's why they want China. Um, looks like China won't happen until twenty thirty four. That's why they're. FIFA are really, really keen on this idea of Morocco being involved with Spain and Portugal, perhaps, even though UEFA don't want that. So that leaves you know, countries such as England looking at, certainly while the current leadership is in place at uh, FIFA, that it's un- very unlikely to happen um, because in the popularity contest as well, I don't England is not popular globally um, for various different reasons. Um, <laughs> so unless FIFA get behind it, then it's uh, it's going to be a problem. So I think it's going to be the 2040s at least before England actually can you know, have a, a meaningful bid and, and hope to get it. I mean, honestly, in, in this day and age, we can't rustle up a few brown envelopes to guarantee ourselves a World Cup. That's a national disgrace as far as I'm concerned. Tell us exactly, uh, moving on, by the way, I'm not casting any aspersions, um, separate issue. Tell us what this bid looks like exactly, Martin. Who would get games and where? For the Euro, so it would, so it would be split across the four home nations and Ireland. Now, all the, the home nations would have would have at least one group. So, say, I mean, the other interesting fact in this is that UEFA is planning to expand the tournament um, from from twenty four to thirty two teams, which is another issue in itself, as there's only fifty five U- European countries in total. So, more than half would qualify. And you'd um, so yes, say say that the, the 
Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland and, and the Republic would each have one group and the other four would be in England at various parts. I think something maybe around sort of three quarters of the matches perhaps would be in England altogether, um, it, and the with with the, the home nations in Ireland having you know, maybe a, a knockout game each or so. You know, you've just outlined there a joint bid. You've talked about Morocco being in with Spain and Portugal. Is this the growing trend now, as well as expanding tournaments and making them more games, more nations involved? Is the kind of joint bid going to be something that we see? time and time again apart from maybe the likes of China that you mentioned definitely for World Cups and World Cups are now crazy it's 48 teams I mean just you know the the, the, the sheer sort of um, problems in like the organisation for, for 48 different teams 48 training camps the extra matches are involved I think it's very difficult unless unless it is a one massive country to, to host that many. So um, I think it, you know, it, and also it's sort of from a sort of FIFA political point of view that the, the more people they can please, the the the, 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 the easier it is for for the FIFA presence of the time to build his popularity and get votes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I think it's very much for for, for the World Cup, the, very much going to be the, the future, and probably for the Euros as well. Now that's getting bigger too, Martin. Do you think we've got a chance here or do you think the fact that England were essentially de facto hosts at Euro 2020, at least it felt a bit like that, didn't it? Maybe because England went so far. Do you think any of that counts against them or maybe it's that element you mentioned before that nobody likes us? So I think in terms of getting the Euro 2028, I think the British and Irish have have a a really good chance. Um, They would perhaps be up against Russia. They've sort of indicated an interest. They've just hosted the World Cup. And I think the other factor is UEFA, the vote is taken by their executive committee. So it's much easier for the UEFA leadership to influence things on that. Now, because it's going to be their first 32-team tournament, Britain and Ireland is very much a low-risk, high-return option. Um, They'll sell out all the stadiums big commercial market um there'll be sort of low you know in, in terms of some of the sort of political problems that it might may be encountered in if it went to russia or turkey that that's not going to happen here so i think they would uefa would very much like it as a safe option for their first 32 team tournament which makes it much easier for the, for the british and irish to sort of to go there uefa won't say that publicly obviously but i mean behind the scenes i, I think that would be very much the case Italy had been lined up for Euro- for 28, and that, that would have been a big problem. But UEFA have done this. They, last month, they announced that they're going to award the 32 and the 28 tournaments at the same time. That basically will allow Italy to delay its uh, its bid for 20 until 2032 which gives it time to build the stadiums because they they just don't have the the necessary stadiums nothing like the uh, the spread of stadiums that there are in Britain and Ireland Martin Ziegler thank you very much chief sports reporter for the times I'll take this moment to say any jokes about brown envelopes and wrongdoing at UEFA were all personal views of mine and jokes <laughs> by the way jokes okay they were just jokes and do not represent the opinion of the Times newspaper or News UK. Okay, so just to clarify that, sue me, not them. Okay, but I'm sure it'll all be clean cut in the end. Um, Martin Ziegler, thank you very much. Still loads still to come on the game podcast. Remember, if you're enjoying it, rate us, leave us a review and make sure you're subscribed. The train is now approaching. 
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's big news at Manchester United this morning. Ed Woodward is finally leaving. He'll be replaced by Richard Arnold as their most senior executive on the 1st of February. Of course, Woodward had said quite some time ago he'd be leaving by the end of 2021, but we didn't know when that might be. There was rumours of a consultancy role as well and that he'd be staying on at the club. But we do have a new direction. Richard Arnold becomes chief executive. In a statement today, the United co-chairman Joel Glazer said, I would like to thank Ed for his tireless work on behalf of Manchester United during his nine years as executive vice chairman and 16 years with the club. Woodward replaced David Gill back in 2013. I'm sure many of you remember that's the last time Manchester United won a Premier League title. Since then, in nine years, Manchester United have won an FA Cup, a Europa League and an EFL Cup. That is what they've got to show for Ed Woodward's time leading the club, although many would say that he had a very positive effect on their accounts. Uh, let's speak to Paul Hurst, who's been covering this story for The Times. Hi, Hursty. Hi, you. How surprised are you that Richard Arnold's taken this role? And what do we know about him? I'm not very surprised at all, really. He's been in the background waiting for this job for, for a while. Um, he's been at Woodward's side for, for most of his, his tenure. He became managing director in 2013, joined the club in 2007. He has been... Sort of the chosen one, I guess. Um, it's, it's been an internal appointment from United. I don't think the Glazers are, are, are big on huge change in terms of the boardroom structure, etc. So they just wanted to keep keep a similar, uh, have a familiar face in place. And he is um, Richard Arnold is, is is their choice. He was made by Joel Glazer. He's the guy who's been responsible for getting quite a lot of those sponsorship deals. You look at the Adidas one in particular. I think that's the the biggest one that um, they've achieved, um, or Richard Arnold's been part of, £750 million over 10 years. That was signed in 2014. So he's been the real driver behind uh, behind those deals. He is, he's an accountant by trade. You know, he, he does have a... He worked at Pricewaterhouse Coopers before 
joining United, but now he's he's head of the whole uh, Man United operation. What does this mean for the club going forward? So many rumours this week about the number of players that might want to leave the club. Sort of an indication of the culture at Manchester United over the previous years. I don't think there'll be a lot of change. I think this is all about continuity. Like I said, the, the Glazers don't want uh, a, a big change at the top of the club. I think Woodward has sort of retreated a little bit from from running the, the club recently. He's, he's passed more responsibility on to John Murtagh and Darren Fletcher, the football director and te- technical director. And I think Richard Arnold will be quite similar. He'll be he'll delegate um, a lot more to the uh, to the football side of the operation. He's you know he's not a, a football guru by any means of the imagination. He will he's a commercial guy, but he and he knows when to kind of delegate to. To the other people, so I think you'll certainly see more influence for for John Murta, for for Darren Fletcher, and Ralph Rangnick, obviously, because he's going to play a part as part of his consultancy role over the next two years in in how the club is shaped and, and running the future. It's a very difficult time to take control of Manchester United. You've got Ralph Rangnick, who's an interim there at the club. As I mentioned, there could be uh, big changes to the playing squad. But there's no real, I guess there's no real laid out plan for the football side of things at Manchester United. They've been criticised widely for that lack of of direction. Do you feel like a, a Manchester United that could come back to the top of football is now taking shape? Not really, no. Not, not from what I've seen, certainly, over the last last few weeks. I think it, you know, the performances have been very poor recently. The Wolves game was, was the worst. I, I just think it, it depends on... Whether uh, you know, Ragnik holds the key here, doesn't he? He's the most. He will be decisive in in how this turns out. If he's a success, if the players listen to him, if the club listens to him, if the club backs his vision, then they've got a chance. But I think at the moment, the the players aren't really buying into some things that he's he's doing, and and you know, there's a question of whether he'll be able to work in tandem with the new manager when they come in in the summer. So there's a lot of questions there that you know remain to be answered. So you look at Manchester City, they've got such a kind of a, a solid base, you know, a commanding, uh, experienced, respected manager. And they've got a, a, f- a football director and a CEO who, who know their stuff and get on well with the manager as well. So that, to me, is a settled elite unit. But Man United are still kind of finding their way a little bit at the moment. So... It's going to take longer and longer, I think, before we see more success at United. Hurst, you wrote this week about the atmosphere and the mood amongst the players being at a real low point. And, I mean, that struck me as such a telling thing, given the struggles that they've had and the low moments they've had in the last few years. Do you think there's an element of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was in lots of respects, you know, the good time guy, the one who lifted the mood, and that was a lot of his management style, wasn't it? Do you think there's a bit of... Ralph Rangnick coming in with this kind of coaching acumen and that actually he's forgotten the kind of need to massage some egos a little bit. Maybe, yeah. But I, I think what is refreshing about Rangnick is he, he tells it like it is. And I, I think that the players need a bit of that. I, I just think that so so many of them have got away with so much over the last few years that, you know, not giving their all and, you know, not pu- not pushing themselves when to come back from injury quicker and, and really taking the club for fools, I, I think. So I just think a bit of straight talking, a bit of, you know, action is, is what's required. And it, I just think, you know, some of those players should be, they should be winning, you know, competitions, should, should be winning titles. Like you said, you know, a League Cup, an FA Cup and Europa League since Sir Alex Ferguson retired. It's just, um, 
it's a shocking record, really. So I, I think you know, I think you can you don't have to go around trying to put an arm around everyone's shoulder. I just think they need quite a lot of these players need need whipping into shape. They need direction on the on the training field, and they've got to buy into that because they play for the football club. They don't play for themselves. For me, it's time to move on from most of them. I've got to be perfectly honest. If you're not going to do what King Ralph wants you to do, it's time to find a new club. I mean, look, most of them, to be perfectly sensible on this, they're big names. They're not great players, about 80% of that squad. And they always say you, you, you can sack the manager, you can't sack the players. But unfortunately for the Manchester United squad, it's now too many managers, too many coaches that they haven't performed for. This is meant to be an elite club. They are meant to be moving in a, a more positive direction. And most of these players, as soon as those big contracts that they've been handed, and by the way, that's a legacy of Woodward's time in charge as well. As soon as those big contracts finish, move on. I mean, if you can't move them on before the end of their contract, but if you can move them on right now, it's time to go, in my opinion, for most of these players because they're not good enough. And if they're not going to listen to this coach, then there's not much point giving the new manager these players either because it's not a footballing issue. It's a mentality issue. It's a personality, a character issue. If you can't handle playing for Manchester United, no hard feelings. Time to find a new club as far as I'm concerned because if you watch the performance against Wolves and you hear Luke Shaw's interview and the players, you know, even the players in the squad and their social media posts, you know, you'd think it was someone else involved in these football matches. You know, they're so melancholy, so sad, so woe is me. You know, get out there and perform, at least put some effort in. And it's been far too long for me um, that these players just haven't performed. And I know they finished second in the Premier League last year. For me, it was almost a false position because of the um, issues at other clubs, other big clubs. And I, was, I, I always thought they would struggle this year and it has proven to be the case. Unfortunately, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has gone. Ralph Rannick. The only question I have about Ralph Rannick is, um, and I wonder what you think about this, Hursty. Results versus the project. How much focus is there on him to just, you know, start weeding out these players who don't want to be there and hand over uh, the squad in a good shape to the new manager versus results this season because they don't look great under him. Completely agree with everything you've just said about the the players needing to need to be moved on if they're not not up for the fight. You know, this is. One of the best things that Ragnick said um, came the other week when he was asked about Paul Pogba's future. He said, I, I, he was asked, are you going to try to persuade him to stay? And he said, um, I, I've no need to persuade anyone to stay at Manchester United. That shouldn't be my job. It should be in your, you know, it should be in the player's mind to stay and to fight for the club. And if you don't, you're right, if they don't want to fight for the club, if they don't want to play well, then, you know, on your bike, get get out. The, because they, they're not performing to the to the best of their ability, are they? You, you look at players when they go away with their international teams, and they they're amazing, and then they come to United and they just kind of wilt. Um, but you know, there, there is I, there is a balance to be had for for the rest of the season. They, they need to get in the top four, don't they? You can't you can't tell me that, for example, if they go for someone like Pochettino, he'll want to leave. You know, managing. Lionel Messi, um, Neymar, etc., to come and manage a team in the Europa League or Conference League. It's just, you know, you just wouldn't do that, would you? So, I mean, Rangnick's just got to, for me, he's just got to, he's got to pick the best, 
the best team or the most committed team. And I think you look at that's why he's playing people like Anthony Langer. He sees raw youth, enthusiasm and commitment there in him. And he doesn't see Anthony Martial, who gets his agent to come out and speak to Sky Sports and say, oh yeah, my, my boy's off in January without telling the club. I mean, that is it's just bad behaviour, isn't it? <laughs> it's just underhand tactics. So, Frankly speaking, I don't know why he hasn't, he hasn't done an apology video on the club's website yet. I thought that was, that's how football worked these days. <laughs> there needs to be a big clear out there. And the one thing that United have been poor at under Woodward's reign, uh, one of the many things that they've been poor uh, under Woodward is getting rid of players. As you rightly said, they just, they hand them massive contracts um, that are not deserved. You look at Martial, he's on 250 grand a week and he's got, I think it's two and a half years left on his contracts. You won't find any club in the world who is willing to pay that amount of money uh, per week for him. Phil Jones, Brilliant performance the other night, but he's not played for two years. His contract runs out in June 2023, and United have got the option to extend it by another year. Who made that decision to give him that contract when he's not been playing football? You know, there's been so many bad decisions during Woodward's era that have really, really hindered Man United in their long-term trajectory. So I think a lot of fans will be hoping that this is a... This is a clean break and the start of a new era. I, for one, am one of those fans. Let's hope Richard Arnold and Ralph Rannick have a revolution at Manchester United. Uh, Paul Hurst, thanks for joining us on the Game Podcast. Appreciate it. <music> FA Cup third round weekend is upon us. For me, it sparks the beginning. It's not the beginning, but the, the bit that we all take notice of. The, the greatest cup competition in the world. James Restall from The Times joins us to discuss it. Hello, James. Hello. It is exciting, isn't it? I, I, even though sort of none of the top managers sort of want to be in it anymore, it does, particularly if you support a lower league team, I think there is still a bit of, um, uh, in inverted commas, magic left in it. I think the important thing about any cup competition is the strength of the teams. Everyone's got to go for it. You know, we always make out, you know, we, we get this thing, don't we? We say when a team maybe is in a relegation battle, um, they've got four or five games less left. Every game's a cup final, you know, every game. That basically means you've got nothing to lose in any game. And a cup competition is great if every team plays like there is nothing to lose. Unfortunately, when the biggest teams in the country are in the FA Cup and they're drawn against lower league sides, not only do they not play like it, they pick teams that suggest they don't really mind if they get knocked out, even though every manager says, I picked a team that we thought was going to win the game. So all I pray for is people give it a good go. Do you know what I mean, Tom Clark? Absolutely. And we're going to need some games that are a bit exciting and teams giving it a good go because I don't know whether James would agree with me, but both being in the editorial side of things, when the FA Cup third round comes round, you're watching it and you're going, some good stories, come on, please, some good storylines, you know, some... Giants against some tiny teams, some some matches we've not seen before. And for me, maybe this is me continuing my grumpy uh, start to 2022 on the podcast, but this was one of the most boring FA Cup third round draws in that respect, in terms of, you know, even Liverpool against Shrewsbury, they've played each other recently. Great for Shrewsbury, of course, as long as the tie goes ahead. But, it, you know, even that lots of all Premier League ties... Yeah, we're going to need some teams to really go for it. Some some four-all thrillers, some six-fours, that kind of thing to really enliven the competition. Because, you uh, know, as James- I like, Tom, I like all Premier League ties early on. 
because that yeah. means yeah. that we don't get all Premier League ties when we get to the final eight. You see what I mean? True. We get some true, unknown, true. unexpected teams in the quarterfinals, maybe semi-final. True. I'm thinking of the little guys and the fact that maybe you re- you know, you said quite rightly that for a lot of the nation, this is when we properly engage with the FA Cup. But for a lot of teams, they've been scrapping away. My boys are already knocked out, knocked out by Hartlepool in the last round. You know, J- James's team, Leighton Orient, you know, worked hard to get to the get to the third round, and they get Stoke away. It's like, come on, do us a favor, throw us a bone here. I think I'm just thinking from that point of view. But I mean, may, maybe James is confident. Maybe he's confident of reaching the next round. Well, it's interesting because I actually think we talk about cup shocks, and I actually think increasingly these days it's a shock when the lower league team, uh, sorry, when the Premier League team who's made eleven changes beats the lower league team because. Actually, you know, the, I, I, I think if, if or what I'm hoping happens on Sunday is that Stoke decide, yeah, we'll we'll put the kids out. We'll we don't we won't take it very seriously, and 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 a very nicely rested Leighton Orient who haven't played since before Christmas go out there and and get to the fourth round. And I think the one thing that is good about this draw is that with, for example, Boreham Wood at home to AFC Wimbledon, which on paper doesn't look like a particularly exciting tie. Most sort of neutrals would have wanted Boreham Wood to get, you know, Liverpool or, or Manchester United or the kind of the, the sort of the, the dream draw that, 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 that we all look out for. It at least gives them a game where they're, they're not totally the underdogs and, and, and could get through to the fourth round and get further. And then there's more likelihood of, of that kind of a, a matchup happening. Um, I also think it, it, it's going to be interesting this year uh, to see how teams approach the ties, given that they're all going to extra time and penalties and there's no replay. You, it'll be interesting to see how many teams take the play for pens approach. I hope that's what the O's do at, um, at Stoke. I, I hope we sort of, to pop, pardon my French, shithouse our way to a, to a nil-nil and win on pens. That's, not, that's, what I, that, 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 that's what I hope Kenny Jackett does. Um, but, uh, but no, I, I think, um, you know, I was looking at some of the matchups and looking at, Port Vale, Brentford. Port Vale, form team in, in League Two. They've had a brilliant season so far. Um, uh, I say form team. No one's played since before Christmas, but they're, they're in, they're, they've, they've, they've had a very good start to the season. Um, Brentford, who, how seriously are they really going to take this? Are they going to, is Thomas Frank going to play some fringe players? And uh, you see this often. The teams that are going well in their leagues, um, take that form in, uh, and that fearlessness into into these cup ties. And so I, I actually, if Port Vale beat Brentford, someone said, oh, that's a nailed on shock. Is it a shock if it's nailed on? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else should we be looking out for in terms of maybe shocks, maybe the unknown, lesser fancy teams going through this weekend, James? The tie that really caught my fancy, uh, and it is a bit more of a traditional third round tie, but Chelsea v Chesterfield is really interesting because were it not for a massive error of, of, of refereeing incompetence in 1997, Chelsea v Chesterfield could actually have been the FA Cup final. Um, Chesterfield were, were denied a goal that would have put them, I think it would have put them 3-1 up against Middlesbrough in the semi-final um, Middlesbrough were down to ten men. Chesterfield were in the in the in the third tier at the time. Sean Dyche playing for them scored in that game, and um, and uh, it ended up uh, Middlesbrough equalised two two. Went to extra time. Middlesbrough went three two up. Chesterfield equalised in the last minute. Um, and in those days, it, it went to a replay. Um, so they were kind of it, it denied an FA Cup final twice. Really, one because of 
uh, a refereeing error that a few years down the line, goal line technology would have spotted. Um, and secondly, because only two or three years later, they scrapped semi-final replays. So they, uh, so they, they would have had a chance to at least go to penalties. So, um, so, but, so now you've got Chelsea who are flying high in the Premier League or, well, I mean, they're in the top three, I suppose their Chelsea fans probably wouldn't say they're flying high, would they? But they're, they're having a, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're the reigning European champions up against Chesterfield who are top of the National League, sort of having had a quite sort of spectacular fall from grace in the last 10 years, but are looking really good bets to get back to the Football League. And they also, another, another, another fun thing to look out for, their captain, Curtis Weston, is the youngest player to ever play in an FA Cup final. He, uh, he, he, he came off the bench, I think, for Millwall in 2004 when they, uh, when they lost to Manchester United. So, uh, so there's, there's lots of interest in that tie. In terms of shock, Ratings. I, I, I think you know nobody would expect anything other than a comfortable Chelsea victory, particularly with it being at Stamford Bridge. But but it's a but it's a great it's a great tie and and a and a brilliant reward for for Chesterfield who are already having a, a fantastic season. I think it's going to be another special weekend. Um, maybe not for me. Thankfully, Man United play on Monday night, so they'll miss the next episode of the podcast, uh, which is good, of course. Listen, let's talk about... Um, I wanted to, before we play shock or no shock and, and guess what might happen this weekend, no replays you already mentioned, which might mean that we see a surprise name on the FA Cup this season. But for me... Uh, once again, it's ju- it's just a slap in the face. Frankly, it's a it's a sign of disrespect to Woozy that my idea of giving teams the option of choosing whether they turn their tie around. Take for example, um, Yeovil Town hosting Bournemouth. I don't know. Maybe they would have wanted that game moved to the Vitality, you know, and and maybe that would have given given them a better crowd or a better gate receipt, for example. Or Kidderminster hosting Reading. Maybe Kidderminster could have requested the game was played at the Medeski and they could have got a bigger crowd in and a lot more money. And that hasn't been adopted. And yes, it might be a more interesting FA Cup because it's a straight shootout on the afternoon. But financially, you know, just give some of these clubs the option. Am I wrong, Tom? No, you're not, Hugh. It's one of your better ideas, I've got to say, on the game podcast. (laughs) Few and far between, but that's one of the good ones. No, and I think because the reason it's good, and you're speaking very much to the converted here by having James and I on, is that it puts at the heart of it the idea that one of the things that the FA Cup is still great for is a financial boost for some of these smaller teams. And what you've done by taking away a replay is you've lost that potential for, you know, some of these some of these teams end up on TV on a replay, don't they? When they've not been picked for a TV game for the first round, you, you manage to get a replay. And not only have you got the gate receipts from an extra game, you also then get picked for the, by the BBC on a Tuesday night. And you have Ian Wright stood, stood in the corner of your ground and saying, this is brilliant fun. And, you know, so that that's a factor. And I think your idea is a good one because... That's one of the things we can't lose sight of. The FA Cup is still and will always be an opportunity for these teams to make make massive amounts of money. I've mentioned it before. I make no no shame in mentioning it. Lincoln City, my team, when we were in the National League, that coincided with a FA Cup run that absolutely changed our club. We've now got a training ground that was essentially largely paid for just by that FA Cup run, um, which is state-of-the-art and far beyond probably what little Lincoln City could have expected um, in such a short time. So I think it's a good idea. And I think as long as football keeps in mind, any changes it makes to cup competitions keeps in mind how important it, this competition can be for the smaller teams, then then we'll be okay. I pretty agree with that, Tom. The, the, the last time 
Um, Ori had got significantly far in the FA Cup, was 2011. They got to the fifth round and um, they played Arsenal at home. Uh, it was, a, it was a, a tie drawn at Brisbane Road. And part of me at the time was thinking, that's a shame, would have loved to have seen my team at the Emirates. But actually, I thought just to have a, a, a you know, our stadium isn't always full, uh, holds about 9,000 fans, but you, you knew it would be a sellout. You knew it would be on TV. Um, and the atmosphere was incredible. It was one of the best atmospheres uh, in recent years in that ground. And, um, and, and Orient got a last minute equaliser and a, a, a replay. And it was um, and it was and it was a wonderful, wonderful occasion. And I think that year, as a result of that cup run, uh, it was it was one of the only years Orient actually made a profit. They, they usually you, around that time they usually would make a loss. Not uncommon for for lower league clubs to, to be loss making year on year. And, and it was and it was hugely significant um, for the team financially. And it gave and, and also the other thing as well is it always you know I always think cup runs you know the the the, the, the top managers will say they're distractions, but Certainly, uh, for us, for us that year, uh, we were struggling against relegation earlier in the season, and the cup run kind of propelled us almost into the playoffs because um, we started winning games and the momentum grew, and and, and you get these. Uh, we beat two championship clubs on the way to the fifth round, and and, and it kind of gives everyone a confidence and and a fearlessness. So um, it is a shame that clubs aren't allowed to switch ties. It has happened in the past. Um, I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Farnborough played Arsenal in 2003 and they were a conference team and they, they, they requested it be played at Highbury and, uh, and, they were, and they were granted that request. But, you know, that, that thing should really be the norm, I think, if you're in maybe third tier or below. Yeah, tend to agree with you. Right, we've got a couple of things to discuss before the end. As I say, shock or no shock coming up. But I think uh, just because we got the news this morning that a certain uh, legendary tennis player made the journey all the way to Australia and has now been turned back. And we're talking about the FA Cup and it's pretty nippy weather outside that there might be some more pointless journeys on the way this weekend for football fans. We've had a lot of postponements already, of course, and I wonder how many more there might be and what the stories are of pointless journeys from you two. James, what have you got? Yes, um, it, it's FA Cup related. Uh, I was, I remember almost getting to Brisbane Road for a third round tie against Sheffield United a few years ago, um, only to uh, the, the classic here on the radio that it had been called off um, I feel like feel like we'd find that out on social media these days. There was something quite sort of romantic about you know listening to Five Live and hearing it being called off. Um, but what made it even more pointless was I still went to the rearranged tie uh, the following Tuesday, and we were thumped for one. So the whole thing felt like a completely pointless exercise. Oh, countless, Hugh. We could have filled the whole show. Some some quick ones I'll mention. The closest I ever got to a ground was Rochdale away with Lincoln. My dad and I striding up towards the ground within about 50 yards before a bloke in a high-vis jacket goes, game's off, lads. And it had been called off about 20 minutes before and we hadn't had the foresight to have the radio on like James did. So that was the closest we got before a game was called off. I'm going to mention uh, two special special pubs that will forever be close to mine and my dad's heart. I'd like to stress that these are not sponsors of the game podcast, although not yet. If you're interested, uh, you can get in touch. Once I got off at East Midlands Parkway, meeting my dad, who drove across from Manchester to go to a Lincoln game, only to find out it was off. We then travelled to a tiny little village called Bunny, which is in uh, Nottinghamshire. I went for a lovely lunch at the Rancliffe Arms, so thank you to everyone there. And another time, we ended up in Coventry in the snow, sleet, absolutely freezing, and we sought refuge in the Golden Cross 
for another lovely lunch. And that genuinely made the day. We still talk about it because the Golden Cross had the unique feature that you could buy as a side two fried eggs for £1.50. Not, <laughs> not, not egg and chips as a meal. It was in the sides, onion rings, chips, you know, portion of bread, two fried eggs, £1.50. And I have a very triumphant picture of my dad sat with his lunch, despite the game being off, sat in a pub with a side of two fried eggs. So special shout out to the Golden Cross in Coventry. Um, Look, before we go, shock or no shock, let's predict what might happen this weekend. Uh, Loads of underdogs. Mansfield Town hosting Middlesbrough of the championship. I would say that might fall into my shock, no shock category, uh, which is, um, which is, which is, um, which is uh, a a team that's uh, lower down in the league placings uh, facing a championship reserve team and, uh, and therefore goes through. Um, So uh, I would say a a technical shock or whatever you want to call it. Um, What else have we got? Hartlepool taking on Blackpool. Is that, are they in the same division? Come on, Hugh, man. Come on, Hugh. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm torn between telling producer John to cut that out and start again or leave it in. <laughs> I can't believe that. I don't think they're in the same division. There's two divisions between two them. Two divisions apart. Super Blackpool. I know that. I was trying to be disparaging about Blackpool. God. So, all right. So, you're on my side. I see. Because Blackpool <laughs> beat us in the League One playoff final. I see. You're trying to take the mick. I get it. I get yeah. it. I get it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that won't be a shock, I don't think. Uh, Hartlepool beat us in the last round 1-0. We're pretty rubbish this season, so that's indicative that they're not the best. And Blackpool are one of the star performers in the championship. I think even if they put out a changed team, they'll have enough to get through. Because I, I actually hope that Blackpool do get through because I think they're the type of side that if they then got a Premiership, Premier League team in the next round, sorry, they could cause a real bona fide upset. Having seen Hartlepool this season, um, they are very good at home, uh, absolutely atrocious away because uh, even we managed to beat them five nil. So, um, so I, so uh, I would give them a glimmer of hope because it's at home. Um, Blackpool, um, Blackpool are going very, very well though, and so I think. It is a no-shock. Blackpool will win. Newcastle against Cambridge United, Tom? Only if Newcastle are so distracted by all the money they may be starting to spend in the January window and Eddie Howe is understandably concerned and basically decides to just play himself in goal, um, surely you'd expect that actually he'll look to use this tie, get a bit of confidence, you know, maybe play Joel Linton. Maybe he'll score a hat trick. This is this will be the comeback. I just I just can't see it. Surely, even even a poor Newcastle side as they have been this season at home, third round, they'll still get a decent crowd. I, I just can't see it. Sorry, Cambridge. We'd love Cambridge to win, but um, I, I think surely. I mean, surely Newcastle have somehow got enough. I agree with Tom. Though I think they need to they need to play. A, uh, their, their strongest possible team try and get some confidence try and you know Eddie Howe's still still working out the team and he's still he's still trying to kind of put his image on this side and that there's not there's not many opportunities he's got to sort of get things you know this is kind of a free hit for him but it's but it's a, it's a, it'll be a useful exercise in kind of um, finding out what this Newcastle team are and I mean I don't know if Trippier has, will, will have signed too late to be able to play but I mean, even if you know, even if even if even if he doesn't play, 
should have far, should have far too much for Cambridge. Um, but I would, uh, I, even though I would uh, sort of, uh, I'll be a, I'll probably be a Cambridge fan for that one. <laughs> Barnsley against Barrow. What do you think, Tom? Could be a shock here. Yeah, could be. In fact, you know what? I've been so so grumpy. Shock, definite shock. Nailed on. There you go. Shock. <laughs> Confident, yeah. Yeah, confident. Kidderminster hosting Reading, James. What do you think? Kidderminster have, uh, as much as you can play into history, Kidderminster have got a, a very sort of storied reputation as cup shockers. Um, they got they beat Birmingham City in the nineties when they were a non-league team, and uh, they they took. Premier League Wolves to a replay, I think, in about 2003-04. So I think uh, there's just there'll be a great atmosphere in that ground. Um, I think they might avoid defeat, and I think in you know old money, Kidderminster would have earned a replay. But as we discussed, replays aren't happening. So I think uh, they might. I think uh, it will go to pens, and Kidderminster will win. Okay, uh, pretty confident on that one uh, what else have we got this weekend in terms of the possibility of causing a shock I think you mentioned Port Vale Brentford James Tom what was your opinion on it Port Vale Brentford yeah that could be I mean that's got surely well, I mean Thomas Frank is just going to be he might not even go himself well I mean why would you, you you're doing the Premier League <laughs> for the first time Like, I'm not being disparaging or rude to Brentford but what I mean maybe I'm being a bit rude to Port Vale but from a Brentford point of view they're in such a strong position they're desperate to prove me wrong that they're going to get relegated. I mean, this is this is Port Vale's chance, isn't it? Shock. Um, Chelsea Chesterfield. I would say sh- shock here for the reasons I mentioned earlier, and I would like to give a special mention to uh, to Port Vale's goalkeeper Lucas Kovalan, who is uh, who uh, f- fans of the National League may remember scored the goal for Torquay in the playoff final last season. Um, and uh, he is a uh, former teammate of Philippe Coutinho. And uh, I think, um, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to go rogue and I'm going to say Kovalan to get the winner in the last minute coming up for a corner. Um, two, 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 one, 2 1 Port Vale. Luton against Harrogate Town. Yeah, shock, shock on the cards here, I reckon. Definitely. I'd agree with that. Shock on the cards. Uh, only a couple left. Uh, Spurs against Morecambe. I can't see it. I can't see it. Morecambe, definitely not the biggest, the biggest club. Um, they will definitely be happy uh, to be going away to Tottenham to hopefully try and make a bit more money out of this tie. That's the best I could think they can hope for from this. I, surely, particularly with Antonio Conte desperate to um, get another positive result this week. I think it's a day for some uh, for some Tottenham fringe players to remind us that they exist. <laughs> and Liverpool Shrewsbury finally, if it goes ahead, do you think there's a chance the Shrews can shock them? What do you think, Tom? Well, only if I guess. If we end up in some kind of limbo, perhaps COVID-related limbo, where Liverpool have just got enough players to put out a team and decide to go for it because it's the third round and it's Shrewsbury, then then maybe they have a chance. But I mean, Liverpool's academy and the strength and depth of the squad's so strong that you know. Um, look, maybe I'll say shock in that Shrewsbury might take them to pens. Maybe Low, obviously loads to admire about Liverpool and what they've done over the last few years with Jurgen Klopp but the one thing that really has disappointed me is that he hasn't really ever taken the FA Cup that seriously and you know they haven't they haven't you know whereas City have kind of won it a couple of times and they've done a domestic treble and you know they're in they're they're in similar shoes in that these two they're two teams that will be going for the for the title every year and Chelsea have Chelsea Chelsea always take the FA Cup seriously um uh, but Liverpool they just don't and so I kind of I mean, I think they'll win it, but 
just sort of, I almost, I almost think, you know, what's the, you know, unless they're going to really have a serious crack at it this year and, and actually kind of put out strong teams and, 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 and try and try and progress and try and win it. Um, I just, it's a bit, I, I, I struggle to get excited about this time. I do think it's going to be a big and busy weekend in the FA Cup and uh, we'll be reflecting on all of that on Monday. James Restall, thank you very much. Tom Clark and all the others, the host of others who've joined us on today's podcast. And for you, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Monday. Remember, if you enjoy the podcast and you enjoy the Times, make sure you're subscribed for more of our award-winning journalism. Check it out. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you very soon. Take care. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.